Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning. My name is Peter, and every time I talk here, I say the same thing. It would be weird for me not to introduce myself because why should you know who I am? But it's also a little weird for me to introduce myself because I've been here since 1997. So, hi, my name is Peter. Um, I am on the teaching team here to the extent that there is such a thing. And, uh, but I don't live in Charlottesville. I live in the adventurous wilds of Western North Carolina where I live on a mountaintop with 300 boys, you know. So I teach at a school called Christ School, which is a little on the nose, and I serve as director of spiritual life. I've honestly been sitting there through those whole announcements trying to get ash out from under my thumbnail from Ash Wednesday, but that's the kind of school I teach at. And here, um, we are entering into a sermon series called Kingdom and Cross. Now, we, we all come from different places, which is part of what makes this fun, so maybe you come from a church background where you spend a lot of time with what's called the liturgical calendar. And Kevin, the magical man in the back, is going to put up the liturgical calendar now. The liturgical calendar is a thing. It's not in the Bible, but it is, but it's not. That the Bible that the church came up with is a way of helping us try to, you know, do this thing. And the logic is that you spend half of your year reimaginatively living through and with the life of Jesus, and you spend the other half of the year, you know, as yourself. And the hope is that if you spend half the year going through Jesus's life, when you go back to what is sometimes called ordinary time, that's the kind of big green six months, uh, six months, the time after Pentecost. When you go back to that, what you do more like Jesus. So we, we start off Christmas before Christmas in Advent, where we prepare for Jesus's coming. And we think about the history of Israel and the experience of Mary and Joseph. And, and then we have Christmas when he's born. And that takes us through to a time called Epiphany, where If you know this, the word epiphany means appearing or revelation. And look, there's Jesus. He's appeared as the revelation of God. And so you walk through his life for a couple weeks. And and then all of the gospels at some point, they have this moment where they sort of turn, they turn the story towards the cross. And in Matthew, that happens in chapter 14, I think, where Jesus foretells his death for the first time. And Luke, it's in chapter 12. But there's always this moment where Jesus starts turning his face towards Jerusalem and Lent is the season where we walk with Jesus towards the cross until Good Friday, until Easter Sunday, until Pentecost, when when the Lord sends the Spirit into the church. And then we live, literally, we live actually. We stop stop remembering and we live for real in the power of the Spirit of the church, and then we do it again. And so we're in Lent, in this period where we are walking with Jesus towards the cross. And if you've come to City Church for more than five minutes, hopefully you've caught the fact that for the last two years, we've done some hardcore theological rebranding. And two years ago, we did a whole year on the kingdom of God. Like, why does Jesus talk about the kingdom? And basically, you sum up that whole year. And I hope you aren't resentful that we could do that whole year this fast. Jesus thought the gospel was the kingdom. That's it. All 50, however many weeks you were here, that's all we said over and over again. And then we thought, people probably like, well, what does that mean, though? And helpfully, almost as though he had thought ahead, Jesus provided a manifesto for how to live in the kingdom. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. So we spent a year on that. And now we're in a period where we're, th- well, you know, if you buy the kingdom thing and, you, and you're trying to do the Sermon on the Mount, like, what, what do you need? What keeps you going? So we're doing this year on spiritual disciplines, but 
Over the last few years, this question, I think, has come forward several times. What does the cross have to do with all this? Vaguely, there are kind of two, two camps in America that might respond to what's the gospel. So someone might go, what's the gospel? And over here, and they're usually a little leftier, people will go, well, God's trying to make the world right. I don't know if you've clocked this, but the world is kind of a mess. And the good news is that God's trying to unmess it. And so, and so these people believe in justice and rightness and, and work and getting stuff done. And then over here, there's people, you say, what's the gospel? And they're like, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins to rescue you from ultimate destruction. And that's also true. But if you came from this camp and you're hearing this kingdom stuff, you come from this camp, you're probably like, where does this all, does this all fit together? Where does the idea that the, the kingdom is the gospel and the gospel is the kingdom, how does it hold that together? And over the next however many weeks of Lent, we're gonna talk through that from a bunch of different angles. What does kingdom have to do with cross? What does cross have to do with kingdom? And, and you know, I'll sum it up here again and you can skip the rest of Lent if you want. The cross makes the coming of the kingdom possible. And the kingdom needs the cross to be what it is. You also need the cross to be in the kingdom. So this is what we're gonna, so I, I thought, I'll start vaguely at the beginning. Now, arguably, the Bible talks about the cross from Genesis 3 onward. But if you're kind of in the story of it, like the real historical story of it, I think it's a pretty good bet to say that the story of the cross begins the night before Jesus is crucified or the night before he's tried to get crucified. And so, so we're gonna today look at the Last Supper. We're gonna look at communion. Now, when I was reading through the gospel uh, accounts of the crucifixion, you ever have this happen? You read something in the Bible, you've read it a million times before, but this time you're like, who put that in there? And you're like, you check the front and you wonder like, did I get a new edition? Because this, so then I called my friend Jensen. Jensen is a pastor in DC and he has an undergrad at a Bible college and he's in seminary at Asbury and he's studying with Craig Keener, if that means anything to you. And I was like, did you ever notice this thing? And he was like, you know, funny enough, I read that today. This was two days ago when I was driving the car. He was like, I read that today. And I also was like, who put that in there? So I am a classroom teacher, and one of the ways I've learned to get people's, the kids, the boys' attention is you give them a quiz with no warning. So here I am to get your attention. There is a quiz. Kevin, quiz them. So in Matthew's version of the Last Supper, Jesus, this, this is what Matthew writes. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then what does he say? Someone's probably going to get it, but we'll be amazed at how many people do not. I would not have gotten this, you know, five days ago. Do you remember what he says next? If you think it's as often as you drink it in remembrance, that's Paul. That's not Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again in this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I think about communion, I think a lot about cross. And I think about those, this is my body, this is my blood. The next thing he says is a movement forward to God's kingdom. So these, these are really all the verses I want to focus on today. You know, I was going to read more, but we don't really need that background. So Kevin, buddy, start us at about... Now as they were eating, if you would like to turn to Matthew 26 to just hear this one more time, read me, or maybe you have an amazing memory. This is how Matthew tells the story of this moment at the Lord's Supper. Jesus has sent the disciples 
to find a um, to find a place for him to celebrate the supper, and they do a little miraculously. And then there's that awkward moment where he like kind of tells Judas that you know like I know you're gonna betray me. This is very. And then it says this, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is just my basic observation. Communion connects kingdom and cross. I didn't plan on that being hard K sounds, but boy, does it work. Kingdom and cross are connected in communion. And so, so sort of like communion reaches back towards the cross and it reaches forwards towards the kingdom. And that's all I want to think about today. I mean, there's going to be a lot more people preaching up here and doing all this stuff, but just to tone set for the rest of the series, kingdom and cross are connected in a lot of ways. One of those is communion. So communion looks back towards the cross. Probably, I'm just going to bet that for most of us, the first thing we heard about the cross is it's how God saved us from our sins with Jesus's blood. And that has the great virtue of being true. But the Bible actually has a lot of ways that it talks about the cross. Sometimes, sometimes, the cross is described as, as a ransom from sin. Sometimes the cross is described as um, the defeat of dark powers. If you asked Paul who crucified Jesus, he would say the powers and authorities in the high places. Sometimes the New Testament talks about um, the cross as freedom from slavery. You're enslaved to sin and the cross sets you free. Sometimes the cross is described as Jesus taking our place. Sometimes it's described as the death of death. Those are all true. The cross is all of those things. There is so much packed in it, and communion is reaching back to all of that. I did a master's degree in the UK, and I was in a pretty small cohort. Not a lot of people studying systematic theology these days. And so there's nine of us, and it's the the kind of opening session. We're sitting around the table. We all go around, and we say our research. So I'm like, I'm Peter. I work on Bonhoeffer, Pentecostalism, systematic theology. And then there's this woman who I hadn't met yet. She said, my name's Neve. I work on Bonhoeffer systematic theology and um, self-harm and eating disorders. Now, I'm going to be really honest. I was super dismissive, and this is bad. I should not have thought this. But when she was like, I work on self-harm and eating disorders, the thought I had was like, is that serious theological work? We talk about being an eternity in the nature of God, and this woman's talking about personal problems. So we become friends, me and Neve. And we start swap. She's so much more organized than I am and more disciplined. So her papers are always done earlier than my papers. So she has time to edit my papers. But eventually I get my paper done so I can edit her paper and we're swapping papers. And I started to read what she'd been writing. And if you are interested in learning about this, look up Neve Colbrook, N-I-A-M-H, because it's the Irish spelling, Neve Colbrook Comment Magazine. She published this as an article in Comment Magazine. Neve's work said this, you know, for decades, Theologians have been trying to offer a word from the Christian faith in response to people who experience self-harm, eating disorder, people who try to hurt themselves. 
And for, for years, theologians have missed this profound fact that in the experience of people, of, in people's experience of self-harm, of eating disorders, there's something true. And Neve suggests that truth is that my body, that someone's body must break in order for me to become well. It's got to go somewhere, whatever this is. And her suggestion was that body is Jesus. And, and if you've been starving yourself, communion is this moment where you can, take, you can take his body as the nourishment you've been denying yourself. If you need to feel something in this, to feel alive, the, the focus of just eating again, that's also in the cross. And my hunch is for those of us who have been around for a while, who've tried to follow Jesus to any extent, there is something in the cross for you. That's all in there. Freedom from sin. Freedom from enslavement. The, cro- the, the communion points back towards all of that and in the most concrete way, just by eating and drinking. But Jesus also seems to say that communion points forward towards the kingdom of God, the completion of God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Well, I hope, I hope if you've been around for a while, you might know what that means. This is the big story. God made the world. And like anyone who makes anything, he had some opinions about how it should go. Sadly, like so many of the things I make, it seems quickly to have gone awry. And human beings send the world in, under the reign of sin and death and hell and the grave. And so God is on this long rescue mission to get the world back. He starts with Abraham and goes like, if you and your kids just do whatever I say, we could get this thing back on board. And that goes like middling at best. And then Jesus comes along and he is the presence of God in the kingdom of God, making the world right. And so Jesus's life and ministry, that's all. He is the coming of the kingdom. But of course, as you know, it's not all fixed. And so we live in this funny place where we're waiting for the kingdom to become complete and full and and the only thing there is while we live in a world that is still broken and torn. And so we, we wait every day, every morning we wake up, at night we go to bed. We look forward on some deep, intuitive, spiritual, bodily, existential level for a day when, as the children's Bible says, all, all the sad things will become untrue. And the kingdom of God will be the only thing there is in the world. And, and Jesus is saying that this supper, this points forward, to, it points back towards the cross and it points forward towards the kingdom. So I've got a couple questions about, about that funny phrase that Jesus has where he says, I will not drink it until I drink it new with you, my father's kingdom. Okay, so here's one. What does he mean by his father's kingdom? Well, we just did that. It's the whole kingdom of God. He's looking forward to a day in which it's all gonna be filled in. There's a great book called What Happens in Holy Communion. Don't you love books whose titles just say it? What Happens in Holy Communion by the German theologian Mikhail Welker. And Velker has a whole chapter on what the kingdom of God has to do with communion. And in it, he says this. He has this lovely quote, which will arrive shortly. For in the presence of the risen Christ, which must not be limited to the celebration of the supper, God's reign is in Advent. It is incoming. The complete fulfillment of God's kingdom, this reign. And the complete parousia still lie before us. Parousia is a Greek term that's used for Jesus' coming again. We live now waiting for the fulfillment of God's kingdom and of Jesus' return. And while we wait, 
we eat together. What is my father's kingdom? It's the restoration of all things. Here's another question I have. Why does he say this cup of the vine? What's that about? Now, a lot of people debate this, and I'm not gonna pretend like I've got this cracked, but this is what I think. I think, and some other people think, that what he means by this cup of the vine is a Passover Seder. It's not just grape juice or wine or whatever you're using for communion. It's not just, it is the actual prescribed ritual all the way back from Exodus of remembering once a year as Abraham's children that we were once enslaved in Egypt and now we are free. And that Passover meal has for thousands of years been a symbol of freedom, of rescue, of restoration, of peoplehood, of God coming in and making things right. That meal has symbolized that because there was a real historical moment in which God sent Moses into Egypt to call his children out of Egypt. And I think, I think Jesus is saying that he's not gonna eat this meal again because coming one day on the far horizon of history will be a day when he will eat a Passover meal with you and with me in a new heavens and a new earth. There's gonna be a day where everything that Passover symbolized has been made so real. It's the only thing in the world, a kind of freedom that is so rippingly genuine, deep. It's like in our, so much so that the old world will be nearly unrecognizable. That's what we look forward to. So why doesn't he eat it again? This is just my thought. I think Jesus doesn't eat it again. So it will all be real like that and it will all be real for us together. It's almost like Jesus doesn't, he doesn't complete this one last Seder of his life. Like he leaves the door cracked to it so that the billions of Christians over thousands of years who take this bread and this cup in his memory to get, it's like, it's almost like we were there. Like he's inviting us back in, like he's trying to keep us all around the table where finally the kingdom of God will happen. That's why, if you wanna put some feet to your faith with this, I don't mean to get too simple, but I just think we should eat with other followers of Jesus. You ever had this experience? I mean, I know it's a hassle to have people over, but like, get over yourself. <laughs> no one cares what your house looks like. You have people over and you share a table and you do it, I don't know, two or three times and you just start to feel some alignment there. You like stuff and you like stuff. And maybe you pray, I don't know. And then I've had the experience of weeks of that turning into months of that, turning into, stuff just starts coming out of that. Have you ever noticed that? If you have people over and you kind of get aligned on the mission that is Jesus, you start, what if we, what if we all got together and we did this? What if we all did, what if we all served together? What if we set aside a little extra money and we did this thing? I've heard of someone that needs this. Do you guys want to come do that? With it's, Jesus has given us a meal, I think in part because from meals, come the restoration of the world. Jesus invites Christians to eat together, to bind themselves to each other, to go on the journey of the adventure of the kingdom. Communion points us back towards the cross and forward towards the kingdom. 
And that's what we're going to do over these days in Lent, these Sundays in Lent. We're going to look back towards his cross and forward towards his kingdom with the hope that because we do that, his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. If you stand with me, why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, you are our crucified king, the only king who has overcome the great enemy of death. And so we open ourselves to you and entrust ourselves to you as the one king who can keep us alive. And so as we respond to you in worship and we bring our, and we come together around your table, we ask that you would make this real to in the, in the physical experience of eating this bread and drinking this cup May we know the difference of your cross and the future of your kingdom. All this we pray in your own name. Amen. If you would now at this time take out your communion elements with me that you were handed as you came through the door. If for whatever reason you miss getting the communion as you came through the door, we have people that are prepared to serve you, so if you don't have the communion elements and you would like them, if you would just raise up your hand, did we miss anyone? We've got someone in the very back left corner and someone up here on the front right. Would you please take out the bread with me? While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's hold the bread up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you as we hold this bread, we look backward to our sin and we look forward to the complete fulfillment of your kingdom. Let's eat together. The scripture goes on to say, then Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, as we hold this cup, we look back to the cross, but we also drink it with anticipation of the fulfillment of your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that on the cross you paid for the price of our sin. You took our place. You ransomed us. You have set us free from our slavery to sin. But in this cup, we also wait with incredible faith-filled hope and anticipation that on that day, we will take this meal with you and everyone who has ever followed you as your kingdom is complete. Let's drink the cup together. Can you take just a moment to close your eyes in God's presence?
and consider again, looking back to the cross and looking forward to the fulfillment of God's kingdom.